0: So welcome to episode one of Beyond Borders by MSA Um, and for those who don't know MSA Novo is one of the only global institutional funds systematically investing in emerging technology markets and with Beyond Borders we host the world's leading technology founders and game changers and I really couldn't think of a better way to launch episode one with our guests today. Um, the founder of Mina's famous Exit, and the founder of Indonesia's Unicorn. So I'll leave it to both of you to introduce yourselves.
1: Go ahead. Um, okay, <laughs> thank you. Uh, sorry, nice meeting you, Ronaldo. Um, so hi everyone, uh, very glad to be here. My name is Fajrin, I co-founded Bukalapak, which is uh, one of the leading commerce platforms in Indonesia. We went public in 2021, uh, raising about 1.5 billion U.S. dollars. Uh,
2: my name is Ronaldo Mshahwar. Um, I'm the founder of, uh, co-founder of Souq.com. Suit.com uh, was one of the largest e-commerce uh, platforms serving customers in the Gulf and Egypt. Uh, we were acquired by Amazon in 2017. Currently, I run Amazon in the Middle East and Africa.
0: Great. Thank you, guys. Um, So let's jump into it. Um, Ronaldo. starting with you, I mean, we've seen how in markets like the US, where the majority are banked, right, Um, but Amazon still enabled cash payments um, like it's in in its go stores to cater to the people that are unbanked. So even in these markets, we see that cash remains there. Um, So in MENA, other than incentivizing people towards digital payments, With Souq, how were you able to cater to those that insisted on cash payments? And what were your challenges?
2: I mean, obviously, uh, the key with payments are two things. Uh, A, you have to accept payments uh, the way customer wants to pay you. Uh, If uh, they want to pay you in certain countries with cash, debit card, credit cards, tokens, points, um, I'm a big believer that you kind of need to work customer backwards from what they use. Um, A different problem is try to uh, digitize them over time and bringing over to what we're all familiar with, which is the normal electronic payments. But with cash, um, I think we focus on two things. Obviously, you have the delivery experience um, where your drivers, um, you know, carry cash, deliver products, receive products. The way customer. The life cycle of an order, how fast you are, how slow you are, matters for cash customers more because they postpay you versus pre-pay you. And then uh, the second part of it is how fast we can pay back to our merchants who sell these products. So with cash, you have longer cycles. Your reconciliation from remote areas takes longer. And we worked hard at Su trying to digitize that. So it's a one-step delivery in payment, and we thought like our, our basically our drivers were like a payment gateway for our business. So that's on the process flow. Also, returns are more complex in a digital environment. Someone returns a product, you just refund their bank account. If he's unbanked, the return cycles do you give him credit? Do you give him cash? Sometimes customers want to mix and all the credit uh, that's left in the account plus some cash. So your transaction. Nature where you have multiple payment methods serving one transaction uh, it gets a bit more complicated to resolve. Um, from another standpoint, you have the whole issue of safety. Uh, drivers with a lot more cash—they're susceptible to a lot more uh, incidents. Uh, you have customers who change their mind often because they haven't committed to you. So, in a way, you're a, you're a small bank lending customers a credit and the right to buy till the product reached them and pay it. So we had to manage how many they buy, the frequency, especially when we have these big events. We have a big event called White Friday uh, where you know our, our consumption goes, uh, customer consumption goes quite high because the prices and the events are very attractive and demand scales. And with that, we had to manage you know to make sure that they're the right customers getting the right products and not someone trying just to block some other customer from either selling or buying products. So we have a different fraud and abuse cycles that you need to worry about. But those are the two. And then the third part, as you said, how do we incentivize customers to move to a digital payment method? Many of our customers initially, we thought they had cards, they just didn't want to use them online. So it was more about how accurate your delivery is, how good your service is, building trust uh, and becoming a destination. Over time, we've seen many of our customers have switched over.
0: So do, that was you feel, our, do you feel that cash on delivery has, in a way, um, promoted uh, the, the consumer loyalty towards suqh?
2: I think at the time, it was the only way. Like You had only 10% of Egyptians' bank. We had At the time, Saudi was about... of customers had a a credit card. Uh, Even in the UAE, more than 50% didn't want to use their credit card online. So it was a way to just accept payments and and build the business. And trust is earned. So as they used us, uh, they got comfortable uh, either with our service, product, quality, prices. And over time, they found it more convenient to move to a digital payment method but we also worked with the local banks, uh, card schemes, trying to build a specific incentives, especially on our application, to have people store their credit card. But it was a journey. We started with no credit card accepted to you know countries where almost all payments today are done electronically, be it debit, credit.
0: Yeah, it's it's definitely like building a relationship, and especially in the in the region. Um, so, Fajin back to you so mom and pop shops i mean are the backbone of indonesia's economy and the majority are st- still bank offline and we know that indonesia is the second largest cash economy in the world so these these metrics are crazy um so when you were building Bukala pack how were you able to convince and onboard these smes
1: yeah so first of all you are correct that um i think around 70 percent of of uh, commerce in indonesia of offline commerce in indonesia is actually done through this traditional mom and pop stores what we in indonesian called warung right um whereas the modern store is only about 30 percent so i think uh and this is something that probably uh unique or maybe happens only in few countries is that we leverage this uh, mom and pop stores uh one as an onboarding on channel right so we essentially empower them uh, for them to be able to also uh, become a merchant but also second is to make them as a payment channel as well right so when we say cash payment in indonesia uh one way is to do a cod like uh, ronaldo just now mentioned uh but what is also popular uh, in uh, bukalapak and also some other e-commerce players is you buy, uh, you pay using cash on this mom and pop stores. So the way it works is that first, as a customer, you complete the transaction in, you know, in mobile or in laptop. Then, when you want to pay, you choose the method uh, pay in this mom and pop stores, right? Then you go into these mom and pop stores, and then you essentially pay using uh, cash to the uh, mom and pop store owners. Right. So this has been one of the most popular uh, methods in Bukalapak and other, uh, some other e commerce players in Indonesia, uh, which sells as a benefit to this uh, mom and pop store as well. Because once the uh, customer is in their mom and pop stores, usually they also sort of like try to browse around what happened in the uh, mom and pop stores and probably most likely will buy something else there.
0: Okay. Okay. Um, I mean, there's a reason to you, you two are, are the leaders in, in this space, for sure. So, I mean, we've spoken about what you've done, but I think where we want to take this discussion forward is what's going to happen. Um, so I really want to hear your thoughts on what will be the next big opportunity in technology when it comes to payments, so that the unbanked don't have to go through the traditional adoption cycle of digital payments. I mean, they don't have to open bank accounts, issue cards, and so on. So what is what do you think in your... Um, opinion is the next big thing in technology. Um, Ronaldo, we can start with you.
2: I mean, we have seen two trends, right? You have seen countries like India where the government stepped in and created a seamless way that companies can use to identify and send money to customers. Uh, And then on top of that, you have different wallet and different payment uh, application uh, to help. Basically, you're almost paying to a phone number. This is also... Uh, or to a national id uh, this is also prevalent in africa where you know you, almost your phone acts like your wallet so everyone has a phone i think if you want to be today uh, in any sort of an economy even if you're uh, uh, you know a carpenter a, a driver uh, seems like technology adoption is, is on the way up as the cost of phones and bandwidth has come down over time it becomes a critical instrument today a lot of our customers do many things, for example, on WhatsApp and so forth. Uh, so with that, you just need to marry the phone with the, with the payment method. And uh, to uh, Farjan's uh, earlier comment, you know, like uh, people are used to topping up mobile, uh, their uh, prepaid phones in the store. So, so there's a lot of movement around that. Digital wallet is one. Uh, maybe with blockchain, you can even simplify the identity and, tra- and tracking of these transactions, bringing more transparency. Uh, so many countries have taken uh, that route. Uh, obviously, at the same time, uh, cards and and, and banking, uh, there's some innovation there where some banks, while they are very heavily regulated, so it's difficult for, I think, uh, a bank that caters to a very sophisticated, high-network customer's and companies and this low end or newly banked customers to merge the two with simplified processes has not been simple, but we have seen some digital banks uh, come up. But ideally you want uh, peer-to-peer payments to be seamless. Some governments have stepped in to allow that to happen under like a unified national program. We have seen in Saudi, for example, Mada, which is a, a kind of a local switch uh, take over that problem where salaries are deposited into a debit card, and then you can use that card to, to, uh, to transact. The challenge remains is some customers want to build credit, overspend, like when you buy a car, you buy a laptop, you may not want to pay for it all at once, and, and then building some financial tools and services on top of these schemes, Uh, that are mostly uh, debit-based, so it's like you have an account, you top up and you use, um, is is a new sort of uh, financial instrument. And we have seen in the region, for example, uh, buy now, pay later companies scale on top. While you have a digital instrument, you don't have financial tools on top. And and these are some of the services that you can build on top of the kind of a digitized cash, but without the lending capability.
0: Okay, Um, so Fajin, like Ronaldo mentioned, I mean, you have countries like India that have embraced uh, unified payment interface. You have Brazil that recently followed with PICS. Do you think there are similar developments in Indonesia or is there something bigger?
1: Um, Yeah, I think uh, the vision is going there, right? So similar to uh, some countries in the Middle East, like uh, just Ronaldo mentioned, in Indonesia, we are also seeing the trends of the popularity of the wallet. Right. So we have maybe four or five leading uh, wallet players in the country. And we also see the trend of the digital bank as well happening in Indonesia. So in the last one or two years, uh, I think there are a lot around four or five uh, digital banks uh, came in. Right. Uh, And it becomes really popular that uh, it forces the traditional bank to also simplify their onboarding process. Right. So even the traditional bank that previously, you know, you need to go to the bank if you want to open an account now, some of the biggest bank uh, you don't need to so it's, it's 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 going into the root of the digital bank where essentially uh, through the application through the through your mobile you can actually open a bank account uh, you still need to do a you know like a video call uh to uh, as a kyc process so it's not as seamless as the wallet but it's getting there right so wallet uh, usually happens for a small transaction like um around ten dollars uh and the limit uh of the wallet is about uh, two thousand US dollars, whereas the bank is unlimited, right? So that's the only differentiation. And uh previously, you know, before 2019 or 20, I think um each wallet to boost the transaction, they introduce discount, right? A voucher, cashback, etc. And you uh so the way they do that is they set up their Uh, QR code in each of the merchants, right? Uh, So, okay, if you want to pay using this wallet A, uh, you get this cash back. Uh, This is the QR code. And then uh, wallet B do the similar thing. So in each of the merchants, there are like many QR codes, (laughs) maybe four or five different QR codes. So it's really, really crowded in each of the stores. So uh, then the Central Bank of Indonesia uh, Indonesia, uh, introduced uh, what is called QRIS, uh, or it's Red Chris, Uh, essentially it's a standardized QR code right so now using one QR code uh, everyone can pay using uh, any wallets or any bank accounts Uh, they just uh, scan uh, this uh, standardized QR code so from the merchant point of view it becomes much much easier right so the merchant just uh, displays one QR code one single QR code then everyone can pay using any wallets or any bank account so that's on the QR and I think uh, the the similar uh, trend or uh, vision is also going on the backend, right, on the switching payment gateway, et cetera. So that's something that uh, I think is on progress and potentially will also become next big thing in Indonesia.
0: Okay. Ronaldo, what's your take on that?
2: No, I think so. And I think, uh, add to that, I feel uh, with these tools, I mean, using the phone, the QR codes, even the merchants accepting digital payment goes up i mean some merchants want to receive uh, quick payments you're sending someone flowers you're in a shop you someone orders something and you know you want to just deliver the goods but you want to accept payment so i think for the merchant side kind of like a mini pos also that part of the business will drive demand because as the merchants gets more and more sophisticated or at least through his phone on tablet, is able to cater to digital payment. Uh, customer choice will shift because just it's easy, it's simple. At the end of the day, you want text that is simple and easy. Uh, and that's how adoption comes.
0: And what do you guys think about biometrics? Um, because you still have a large, significantly large population, especially in MENA, that are unable to not only open up bank accounts, but are in many cases unable to even you know, have. You know, digital wallets or so on, because they require some papers. So, how do you think biometrics can be the next big thing and can be leveraged with the existing models
2: for identity? If you talk about identity in particular, you can now use the phone as an extension uh, of of for for uh, you know, like a face uh, opening face IDs and and things that are related to you personally uh, through your phone. The phone has a camera, has a mic. Uh, Some have tried even like speaking to a password or whatever. So those tools will come and more identity uh, ability to identify users uh, through the phone uh, uh, is something that is already happening. Many banks have extended beyond their just a traditional login. I've also seen some unified government login that you could use across multiple platforms that tie to your identity We see one in the UAE with UAE pass, so it's tied to your Emirates ID and many government and now some non-government services, uh, utilities, uh, you know, like uh, rent, uh, fees, uh, school tuitions you could pay with these IDs. So obviously um, it helps just simplify the identification process. So there's room for them. For sure. With the mobile phone, the only problem with the mobile phone index is some customers change their phones, and then migrating that data uh, is, is, is sometimes a pain. Some applications do it well, but then your phone may recirculate with another customer. So, so that's some of the challenges with the countries that have a lot more uh, prepaid than postpaid, where the phone doesn't remain like your national ID forever with you
0: do you do you see that? I mean, you you come from the telcos uh, industry now and you're working heavily with them. So how do you how do you see that coming into play as well?
1: Um yeah, so exactly as uh, mentioned by ronaldo just now, right? Um Indonesia, I think ninety-five percent around that uh is prepaid, uh right. Um so uh a lot of customers actually change their phone numbers. Uh so that's why uh biometric is actually one of the Thing that is used as well here for identification, because we have a, a central government uh, data that the telco company or other uh, company that needs verification uh, can use this uh, biometric data then to complement the to complement or replace the video call as a KYC. Uh, just now I mentioned in the in the phone, and I think going forward is also opportunity for Indonesia uh, to also expand or uh, build partnership with other countries, right? So something that is uh, already happening is actually the QR system that I mentioned before uh, is already happening in a uh, few countries outside Indonesia, right? So the standardized QR code just now I mentioned is also applied, I think, in Malaysia, Thailand, and one or two other countries in Southeast Asia, right? So as an Indonesian right now, I can go to Malaysia and Thailand and pay using the Indonesian wallet that I have uh, in, the, uh, in the merchant in Thailand or Malaysia using the QR code there.
0: Okay. Um, well, speaking about that region, there's also a lot of, I mean, we see a lot of Chinese tech influence, um, especially in Southeast Asia. And I think with MSA's experience, we've seen firsthand um, on how emerging markets are scaling with Chinese models and Chinese mobile first models because of their high velocity and low cost. So do you think in emerging markets, whether it's Southeast Asia or Amina, um, that emerging markets can evolve into payments using Chinese technology?
1: I think it's one of the... Yeah go, on. yeah, go ahead. Okay. let you
2: go. It seems that like closer to your market than ours.
1: Yeah, exactly. So uh, I think Southeast Asia is uh, really close with China, right? Uh, in the sense that uh, we are both developing countries, uh, most of us, right? Most of us in, in in Southeast Asia. And the second in terms of the uh, is SME structure. So a lot of merchants in China are SMEs and it's similar in Indonesia, uh, potentially different with the one in, uh, in, the, in the US, for example. So uh, a lot of uh, Chinese technologies are actually applied here, right? The wallet that I mentioned, the QR code, it's pretty similar in terms of the concept, in terms of the technology with, uh, with the one that is working in China. And when I mentioned just now, there are a few uh, wallets here. Uh, Some of them uh, are actually uh, invested by uh, Chinese companies, right? So, for example, we have uh, Dana, uh, which is actually a a joint venture between local company and also uh, Alipay or Unfinancial. And similarly with other uh, Chinese companies as well, I guess uh, some of the uh, wallet in Indonesia either invest or either is invested or partnered with the Chinese companies. So I see some of the trend as well uh, in terms of the what is happening in China right now, like uh, uh, BNPL, for example, and then also in terms of the fraud detection. Uh, all uh, are brought uh, into Indonesia uh, and some countries in Southeast Asia, uh, although some obviously need to be tailored to local context, right? Because uh, the situation is not 100% same. So a uh, tailored made solution is also needed, including in Indonesia.
0: Okay, and I think think Ronaldo also does apply to the region. I mean, not geographically, probably, um, but in terms of consumer behavior, we've seen that a lot of these Chinese models work perfectly in emerging markets, especially in MENA region. Um, They have very similar consumer behaviors. So do you think, especially with all of these economic ties happening now with China and the region, um, what's your take on that?
2: I mean, I think the Chinese have a tech industry is very mobile-centric. Uh, in a way, it supersedes the need for a laptop or a computer, and they're all mobile-first tech. Uh, a lot of what we see from the Western world kind of has evolved and not as focused on 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 mobile as the way things are changing, but that, that was initially why I think there has been an uptake on the use of some of the tools. Uh, I feel the region for us is a bit more segmented, so you have the GCC; high net worth individuals, very westernized, uh, digital payments, super advanced. You have the card schemas like Visa, Mastercard, already have a significant share of the customer, the bank population. So, with those, I don't know if if we will adopt many of the Chinese uh, tools or way of doing business. When you move into Africa, some of the rest of the Middle East, uh, Egypt, obviously the problems. Uh, uh, to Fergana's point, become a lot more similar, and I think you will see the need to innovate. And you know, and you know, while you have to still localize a lot for payments, depending on the regulatory environment, one of those highly regulated industries. There are definitely practices that uh, we can at least get inspired from, from what has happened in Southeast Asia and India, uh, and 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 move it over. So so we see uh, both. It just depends how developed the countries are uh, so the middle east is a bit of a mixed pie where you have uh, you know oil producing um, highly populous lower income and you have a spectrum so i i don't want to like generalize that it'll all work for me
0: now yeah i think as you said localization is key um, even any model um,
2: we have so many wallets not one of them yet have had no. a big traction the ones that are working are tied to telco but to the forjan's model Earlier, there are payment stores where you go pay for services in stores. There's big networks have already been set up because you had to do bill pay early on and they've evolved to become like a payment wallet or a payment uh, depository uh, points to collect and deposit cash to replace the bank. So so those have worked in Egypt, for example. There are a couple of companies who do that very well and have scaled to thousands of uh, access points, uh, replacing an ATM and a and a Visa card or a MasterCard.
0: Fajrin, do you think it's, it's similar in Southeast Asia in terms of localization? Um, or is it relatively close? Like when you look at, let's say, Malaysia and Indonesia, do you have to localize these different models? Or how how does scalability work when you're looking at, at that region?
1: There are similarities, but obviously there are differences as well, right? So, for example, um, Singapore is obviously one of the uh, most advanced ones uh, compared to the Indonesia, right? So the traditional store there as a percentage of total commerce is probably uh, way less than Indonesia, right? Um, Indonesia is probably a bit similar to Philippines in terms of the uh, geographic as well. We have uh, so many islands, uh, a lot of mom and pop stores as well. That's probably the reason as well, uh, Bukalapak uh, trying to first uh, expand uh, in Southeast Asia to Philippines, right? So uh, currently I think there are uh, small networks of uh, philippines farm pop stores also uh, using Bukalapak uh, products. Um, Other countries like uh, Thailand, uh, Malaysia is probably slightly more advanced than Indonesia in terms of the uh, in terms of the traditional stores. And perhaps then the customer behavior is also more advanced. Um, But I think overall uh, we are similar with China uh, with the exception perhaps uh, Singapore in terms of the mobile first. So a lot of uh, countries in Southeast Asia experience internet firsthand in the mobile, right? So uh, they experience Facebook, uh, uh, for example, uh, in mobile, whereas uh, me, myself, for example, uh, I tried using Facebook in the desktop first, right? uh, Before they come to the mobile. So that's why the the Chinese uh, technology in terms of the mobile uh, first is also working in many countries in Southeast Asia.
0: Okay, Okay, that's that's, that's great. Um, okay, I mean, for the sake of time, I'd, I'd love to go on, but I'd like to wrap it up with one final question for you both. So what's your biggest non-obvious lesson that you learned uh, in building your companies and cash economies? Um, so Ronaldo, we'll start with you.
2: I mean, uh, the, the, the not so obvious is to shy away from, uh, uh, like, hey, initially couriers didn't accept cash and you want to support a customer, and many of our competitors maybe initially try to, uh, you know, work uh, and copy what worked everywhere else. And uh, while it's like thinking practically, you think you want to localize. Traditionally, uh, even when we hire employees, I'd like ask him, "Hey, did you buy something yet on Su? He says, "Yeah, but my credit card is still not working. Uh, I didn't. I moved over, and I haven't yet gone to a bank." And I'm like, but we offer cash on delivery, so it wasn't so obvious that these models are you can scale them with tech, um, and they are a, a critical bridge to scale the digital economy. Uh, you know, we embarked on them. Um, um, you know, thinking that the courier is an ATM machine It's something you don't initially uh, comprehend, but it turned out that also the courier had to deposit money into ATM machines when they collect them, so the merchants get paid, and we were managed to create this cash ecosystem that little by little converted to, um, to to a digital economy, it would have been very easy to say, you know, you can only accept credit cards and let's move uh, and stick with the 1% of the population and never scale to where we are. So I think just uh, what wasn't obvious how challenging, once you do it, to scale it, how much tech you need to put into it. But uh, it was a fun journey for sure. I'm yeah. glad that a lot of these are behind us in MENA. But obviously, it's a it's a, it's a curve. It's a, about a 10-year, I think, cycle to get from where we started to make uh, ePay prevalent on e-commerce sites.
0: Yeah, well, no, definitely you've executed and definitely changed um, and transformed the digital culture in the region, for sure. Fezrin, on to you.
1: Yeah, I think um, besides localization, one thing that I notice uh, is that tech is not always disruptive, right, meaning that the customer change uh, is not always uh, so big. So, for example, the big changes or the disruptive changes is Uber, right? So before you, uh, you know, uh, you book, uh, you ride taxi, uh, you hail taxi manually, and then you pay manually using cash or probably probably credit card. And then um, using Uber, it's all changed, right? Uh, The way you book, the way you pay, it's all changed. Um, but tech is not always like that, right? So, uh, in 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 the case of cash payment, for example, it's not always uh, okay. Before it was cash, and then okay, let's change it into uh, not cash at all, right? It's not always like that. So, for example, in the case of Bukalapak, uh, we still use cash, but what we use uh, in terms of technology is actually um, creating an application for the mom and pop store owners, right? So that's the tech that we make, so that the from the customer point of view. Um, it's a combination. You still order in application, but then you go into the MyMapop store and then do a cash payment there. So the changes is incremental, right? So uh, not all of the function is actually changed. Um, so that's that's one of the changes that can be done as well uh, versus the district changes, right? So when you want to uh, change the customer behavior, uh, you can also uh, consider this type of changes, incremental changes, not always the disruptive changes. And what I see the incremental changes is easier to educate the customer, right? Because um, they are are, are, uh, less disruptive, right? They are still uh, tapped into the customer uh, daily activities or daily needs, right? Um, Oh, I go to the uh, mom and pop store, um, usually maybe once every day or once every few days, right? Now I, I just need to pay the online thing there. Um, versus if I uh, force a customer to use a new payment method that the customer uh, didn't know before, right? So it's it's more difficult to educate the customer.
0: Okay, that's, that's great insights. I mean, you look at all of these different emerging markets, so similar yet, um, you know, there's definitely a lot of micro-localization happening there. Um, Guys, I want to thank you so much for your time. This has been short, um, but super insightful. um, And we look forward to publishing the first episode of Beyond Borders with you.